Hello and welcome back to the Curiosity Podcast. Today we have Parth Serene and Parth is a software engineer and has worked in energy products at Tesla, machine learning at Deloitte and development at Apple. He is currently doing a Bachelor's of Applied Science at Waterloo and is newly doing product management for Siri at Apple, which is wild. So Parth, thank you so much for being here. If you could introduce yourself, that would be amazing. And then we'll get into our questions. Yeah, sounds good. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so, well, as Nyla said, my name is Parth. I'm studying mechatronics engineering at the University of Waterloo. Um, it's like a mix of mechanical, electrical, and software engineering uh, with a big stress on mechanical and electrical. Um, so I've obviously, you know, not focused on that end for my jobs, at least. Um, I've moved a little bit more into software side of things. So I, you know, first worked at this startup called Ritual in university. Um, doing like QA software kind of stuff, then worked at Deloitte with machine learning, then Tesla for distributed systems, specifically on the energy side of things. Um, then I was at Apple and I really liked it there as well. It was it was a mix of, it was putting like machine learning models into production. So very closely working with data science, but trying to productionize some of the ML systems we had. Um, and this term, it is a little bit different. I'm a product management intern, so different kind of field, but I'm still like, quite heavily focused on data science and having data so that we can make some smart product decisions about Siri. Uh, so digging into different kinds of things, different aspects this time around. Um, I used to do like product management outside of work as well at startups. So that was a good time too. And even in high school, I kind of got an early start. Um, there was like this program called Junior Achievement um, where you kind of get to start your own company. So I did that for a couple of years. Um, and then I actually also did do an internship before going to university, which was like more hardware side of things. So that, that's a little bit about me. Aside from like co-op and all this work stuff, I, you know, just kind of like to relax, play some video games here and there, go do some Muay Thai, um, hang out with friends a lot. Was living in Waterloo for like the last eight months. So recently just moved home for this co-op term, which is also a good time. Yeah. Wow, that's so cool. And actually, the program you did in high school, I love a lot because I didn't do it, but my brother did. And the way I got into tech is he took me to the like the ending event of that. Uh, yeah. And you all get together for a dinner. He took me to mm-hmm. that. And I'm like, you guys are so cool. You're doing all these cool things. I want to be like you. And then basically, because I wanted to be as cool as you guys, I learned <laughs> how to code. Literally, that's the reason. Like, that's like, I call it like the the thing that changed my life kind of because literally after that moment I like I got all into software development it was kind of crazy so that's so cool love that program so our first question is actually about um being a leader and delegating tasks because you obviously worked at a lot of really cool places and now you're starting to like manage people as well so delegating tasks is a very important skill at any company and now from like being managed to now managing your own team at Siri what qualities do you think make a good leader and a good team member Sure. Um, so, so I will say I'm not necessarily managing people as a product manager. It's more so you have, you essentially like, at least at Apple um, and the way I mean, it's, I've been working for like a week and a half now. So, you know, take, take this with a grain of salt, but based on the week and a half that I've seen, um, it's very much like you have a project and you have a certain amount of things to do and you have to essentially get buy-in from other people to make that thing happen. So if you want to, you know, have your product or whatever your project is come to fruition, you need to basically get buy-in from engineers, from senior leadership, all those kind of people, all those people um, to really 
go where you're going. So it's a little bit different, although I have done a lot of more uh, kind of leadership things in the sense of run, I'm running a career fair at Waterloo, which is going to be happening in the winter. So that's been very interesting. And I'm managing a relatively large team this time around. Um, it'll be around 10 to 11 people. And so I have a lot of thoughts on, you know, delegating tasks and have, making sure that we're working towards the same goal. So for me, I am, I, I'm like a relatively strict person when it comes to, you know, deadlines and things. But when you say you're going to do something, you know, actually going ahead and doing that thing for time or on time. Um, and so the way I see it is very open to new ideas, very open to seeing how things get done. Communication is a very, very important tool. I think any leader should be making use of because without communication, you're not going to have the team on the same page. And it's just so much harder to move ahead together as one group. And so as a leader, you need, one needs to have a vision of where you see the entire group going. Um, but understand that that vision is a little bit malleable and that you might need to change it as you know circumstances change or your team members have different ideas and you need to you know adjust your kind of grander vision. But overall, that grander vision should be shared with the people you're working with because if they don't see what you're building towards, um, whether it's you know you at a startup and you're the CEO or you're just like running a smaller event, kind of goes all throughout. You need everybody on the same page. Um, you need to also, when delegating, focus on people's strengths rather than just assigning them tasks. I think you know if you just see someone and just give them kind of a task that you don't want to do and you're not necessarily optimizing for is this person going to be good at this task or, you know, this project or whatever it is that you're giving them, um, you're kind of missing out on making full use of the person and the person is not feeling as fulfilled because, you know, they're not working on something that they actually want to. So the two things, what they're good at and what they want to work on and you want to find a good mix of both. I think that's super critical because not only does playing people's strengths allow for a stronger team, but it also just allows people to have more fun and do what they like doing, which in the end really does matter. Um, now, I know this Siri product management role is super new, but what is the highlight of your job so far? And what is something about your position that you find more difficult or you don't enjoy as much? Sure. Um, definitely have a few thoughts. So when I was a software engineer, um, I would always, you know, try to book times with PMs and I'd always see their calendars and they were pretty much just like booked end to end. Um, and so meetings, you know, from morning to whenever you try to finish the workday. And so that that is definitely ringing true. I do have a lot of meetings as a product manager. One thing that I've really enjoyed doing, and I think that's a little bit more specific to the team that I work on and you know, my manager and kind of how he's let it, uh, how he's guiding me and running uh, my project is very, very data-centric. And so understanding, you know, where this data has come from and what we're going to do with it and what kind of product, how it's going to influence product decisions. Um, and everything is extremely, every decision you make is very, very data-driven. And so having a good understanding of your data is going to help you make better decisions. So I've really enjoyed that aspect of, you know, still being able to write some code, digging into the data, being able to do some, exploratory data analysis or EDA, um, and really just, you know, understanding kind of what we have and what we can do with it. So a little bit of data science there. Um, this is obviously not, you know, true for every single product manager role out there. Product management roles are just so, so wide and so team dependent. Um, so I guess I can, you know, give it a parallel to other places that I've done PM at. So 
I was a PM at a startup um, and that was a lot more customer centric. You know, I was doing the beta plan and figuring out how we're going to, what all metrics are we going to collect? How are we going to push this product out? How are we going to structure a community around our product? Um, and, you know, all those kind of things, which are, you know, not necessarily as closely tied with engineering. And then I was also a TPM. I'm currently on break since I'm at Apple. Um, and it's, that's essentially like a wardrobe assistant app called Pronti. It's on the App Store, actually. Um, and so I was there. I was like one of the first people uh, who set up all the structure of the code in the sense of like the system architecture. So not necessarily the code, but how everything was going to be structured, the, the system design. Um, and so that was more technical product management. And so still working, you know, on metrics and understanding what we're going to build um, and why we're going to build it, but then bringing that back to the engineering team and delegating those tasks. Um, a big difference I find in software engineering and product management is, you know, as a software engineer, you kind of just have to sit down and work through your problems. Sometimes you just have to start your code hard enough to get to the solution. Um, that is very different. So what I'm finding at product management is that it's very different. The way you solve a lot of your problems is actually just by talking to people and getting their viewpoints and something. And then you like, you just have like these aha moments. Um, and I really enjoy that because I'm just a very much extroverted person. So I love talking to people. Um, and so the PM, the PM aspect of, you know, just being able to talk to a lot of people, come up with better requirements and understand like the problem space better has been really awesome. So my first, you know, couple of weeks have been pretty much all full of coffee chats and talking to these people and understanding, you know, what they do, how they can help me, how I can help them, and just just have like a mutual understanding of, you know, in the future we might work together. And so, just getting to know new people, um, understand them, work with them, possibly are some pretty awesome things. So I, I actually haven't made up my mind yet for what I want to do um, for my next internship, which I have one more left. So it might be software engineering, might be PM, don't know yet. We'll, we'll figure it out as we go. That's very cool. I actually have a follow-up question about that. So as a PM, part of your role is defining on how you're either solving problems or how you're going to make a new idea or a new kind of way to do things. So how do you go about doing either of those things? Like, how do you know if you define enough data and like have enough, let's say, impact that you know this solution will like, drive? Or how do you know oh, yeah. that like is a good enough idea to like invest time and money into? And is it also like more intuition based and more like, you know, qualitative? So you talk to people or is it more like numbers based? You mentioned like doing a lot of analysis. I'm just very curious about that. Yeah, um, I love this question. First off, um, I think it's a really good question. And so what I'd say is it really depends on one, where you're at, what kind of problems you're working on and not so where you're at, like the overall company what kind of problems you're working on and your like more immediate team as well, because all those things kind of impact you as a product manager and how you go about your day to day. And so for me, um, I would say that my team is extremely, extremely data driven, especially my manager. And so that leans into my work a lot because he influences me and I'm like, Oh, this is a nice way to do things. And so that's kind of the way I stick with it, especially like me having a, having done machine learning and data science. So I also understand, you know, those numbers well. Now, coming to, you know, data versus intuition and all those kind of things, oftentimes what you're going to do as a product manager is you're like, I feel this to be a problem and I don't know why. So you're going to go look if there's any relevant data that you can draw insights from to help support your intuition. So a good product manager will have very strong sense of a product and have very strong sense of market, the, 
uh, intuition of, you know, what things should be like. And so let's say, you know, if there's a problem in a product that you're using or the product that you're working on and you feel that it's a problem, but, you know, you don't know if there's data to support that, you go find it or you go, you know, collect that data to make sure that you can support your hypothesis. And so product management is about, at least the way I see it, defining a very clear hypothesis, understanding your problem space really well, and then going about, you know, finding the data to support your hypothesis or disprove it. Um, so may maybe, you know, your hypothesis is wrong and this is not a problem or it's impacting maybe like 1% of your user base. So again, you know, those are the kind of things you're going to see. Um, the next thing you asked me, or I guess you asked me before this was uh, low hanging fruit type of questions or like how do you define kind of what you're going to tackle and how much of an impact is it going to have? So the way I've been tackling, you know, this kind of stuff. So I've been doing PM for a while now. It's been a year and a half-ish part-time, you know, and then I was doing two kind of roles at once. Um, so I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna count it as double. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But basically it's been, it's been a decent amount of time since I've, you know, at least been into the product world. And so the, what I see is you want to target the high impact, uh, low effort kind of things first. And so in, you know, Silicon Valley and product management lingo, they, they like to call it low hanging fruit often. Um, and so, you know, those are things you can pick up easily. They don't take a lot of effort and they have high impact either on your users or your product, however you want to look at it. Um, next up, you'll have, you know, things which are harder to do, but they have high impact. So, you know, if you're putting it on a uh, 2D graph, it'll go on the far right. So, you know, requires effort, efforts on the X axis um, and impact is on the Y. Uh, you're going to have, you know, High impact, but a lot of effort will go on the right. Low, uh, low effort, but high impact will go on the left. And so you want to start from left to right. Um, then you're going to have things, you know, which don't have a high, as high of an impact. And you can kind of plot them uh, yourself. So bottom left, bottom right quadrants. Um, and then you, so the way you kind of go about, you know, understanding how much impact you're going to have. So let's say you, you kind of have to dig through the data and understand whether it's just your intuition telling you this is your or is there data backing up your intuition? Um, and if so, if let's say, you know, 10% of your user base, which are highly active users, um, they are struggling with like a certain piece. Oh, wow, we can fix this piece with just like two days worth of work or maybe a week worth of work. You know, maybe that is something that you define as low hanging fruit. It, your definition of how much effort it takes, how much work it takes and how much impact it takes is what you have to kind of come up with as a product manager and often, as a PM, what you're doing is defining the roadmap. You know, you look a year ahead into the future, you're working with senior leadership, you're trying to understand what's going to be going out, um, what kind of things will be, you know, which are surprises for the user, what kind of things do you want to work on from the technical side of things? So like infrastructure changes and improvements, so on and so forth. Um, but that was a really long kind of rant on trying to address all those things, but hopefully, I help. hopefully it helps. No, that's really cool. So in essence, you're basically defining it most of the time of intuition and then it just back it up with the numbers. So that's a really cool way to look at it. So, so that's one way to go about it. Um, oftentimes what will happen is you will get user feedback that something is absolutely crap and you're going to have to go back and find the actual data for it. So sometimes it's not just intuition. Sometimes you will have data first and your data is telling you that you're not doing a good job and then you have to go the other way around. You're like, wait, why am I not doing a good job? So <laughs> stuff like that too.
That's awesome. So we can definitely tell you're very passionate about technology and software. So can you talk to us a bit about like how you got that, you know, passion and spark for wanting to go into technology and software. And now you're like working more in project management, but still within that domain. So what motivates you to continue learning about the latest technology and just learning about this in general? Mm -hmm. That's a good question as well. So I was in high school. Um, I did not want to do engineering. I thought I slept with science. And I, I really enjoyed physics, but that was about it. And math was easy too, but yeah, did, did not want to do anything which was hard. Um, but I was like, oh, I'll go into business or like, you know, marketing. I was, I was a DECA kid pretty much throughout high school. Um, I was like the co-pres by the end of grade, by, by grade 12, basically. So you can imagine um, how much time I sank into that. And so in grade 11, I kind of, you know, had talked with a few people. And essentially what I got out of it was, why don't you just do engineering? You're relatively smart and you can, you know, get through it if you still want to do business after. Making that transition from tech to business is so much easier than making it from business to tech. And so I'm not saying it's impossible. It's just like you have a lot more credibility. You have things that kind of get built up. So grade 11, I decided I wanted to do um, engineering. And I also kind of had an introspective into, you know, what kind of things I wanted to work on um, have impact. So like for me, sustainability was a very big one. And so you can imagine like Tesla being one of my top choices kind of going into university and wanting to work there. Um, and I'm very glad that it happened. I worked on the energy side specifically, which is the side I wanted to work on. And yeah, it was a lot of really, really cool things. And in grade 11, you know, me making that kind of decision. Yeah, I'm just going to pick mechatronics engineering at Waterloo. That, that kind of, you know, landed me up here. Um, so definitely passionate about software, technology, um, accessibility, sustainability, those kind of things quite a bit. Um, and then what was the next piece? It was, uh, how do I stay passionate? Um, I don't know. It is, I feel like surrounding yourself with other people who are extremely passionate. So for example, um, my roommate, Ryan, um, last term, he goes to University of Windsor and he is probably one of the smartest like people I know. He knows full stack engineering. Like he is able to, you know, have, he has he has a great understanding of cloud infra and is able to manage his way around so many different things. And, you know, we'd just be sitting watching TV and then he'll like go on a rant about like why this technology sucks or why this technology is so great. And so surrounding yourself with people who, you know, like to, or who think the way you think, who also bring in new ideas. So not just, you know, the same as you, but also are bringing in a new perspective, um, not just for technologies, for anything, it, anything it is, uh, that is possible for them to bring in and improve yourself. You give back, you know, you talk about things you're, you're passionate about with them and you kind of just build off of each other. Um, and so that, I, I really enjoyed doing that with a lot of my friends and I think Waterloo is a great place for that. And a lot of other great programs also, you know, have same kind of uh, learnings and same kind of people that you're gonna surround yourself with. So that, that helps a lot with staying passionate. Um, and then, you know, also just kind of having a North Star for yourself and understanding where you see yourself in like a few years, what kind of things you enjoy doing. So for example, I really, really liked um, the kind of stuff that Tesla was working on, specifically my team uh, at Tesla. So um, if you, so I worked on a couple of products there. So one of them was Autobator, which was this, you know, kind of energy balancing platforms uh, in the UK. And so that's public now. It's, you know, supporting people's houses. It's able to provide clean energy and balance the grid automatically which is really cool because 
the electric grid is a relatively old, it's relatively legacy infrastructure, and you never really think about it, but it, it can go down pretty easily. And so, you know, building redundant systems, if you see in California now, you know, with power outages in other places in the world, so rampant. And so being able to have an impact in that way was really cool. Um, and that type of energy, that type of work is really cool as well. So that was one thing I was, I, I'm still passionate about. I think it's really awesome. And even with Siri, like accessibility, you know, making it easy for people to do certain things. The long-term vision for Siri as well, just in general, being able to have an assistant for yourself is really cool. And that kind of tech is pretty nice. And then obviously, you know, when you, when it, regardless of which company you go to, but you get to see the internal workings of a product that you use and you're like, wow. Um, so, so it, it's just like surrounding yourself with people and working on some really cool problems that you're passionate about. That's, I think, the best way to stay passionate about things as well. Yeah, that's great. Um, I, I love that story. And I also think that it is so cool what you did at Tesla. And it must be so cool actually having it on the market, commercialized. And you, know, you can say, I worked on that. <laughs> that's so freaking cool. Um, yeah. and something, <laughs> something about technology is that it moves very, very fast. And specifically mm -hmm. within like software and AI, you know, there are new things coming out every day. So with these technological advancements, how do you stay up to date? And do you have any good learning outlet recommendations for people who may want to get into tech or even just stay updated with the latest news, like newsletters or YouTube channels or article subscriptions? So I'm guessing the listeners of this podcast are mostly Gen Z. So I'm going to go say that you should have Twitter. Um, so I'm, I'm recently on Twitter. Um, I mostly should post, so do not follow me. But I will say that they're like, most of the way I kind of you know, get my information of like what's new in tech. So these days, NFTs, Web3, crypto, super, super popular. Um, and so just like being on Twitter and like specifically Gen Z tech Twitter, I guess, um, there's, there's a lot of, you know, common people and really, really interesting and cool people I've met off of there. Um, and you know, hopefully we'll meet in person. So would recommend using that as a way to kind of stay updated. Um, and even networking on that is pretty great. I've found some amazing opportunities, met some amazing people off of Twitter. Um, would not recommend LinkedIn as much, unless you're like looking for internships or co-ops, I guess. Um, but in terms of tech and like learning what's up, like new, new and out there is, would be Twitter is my main source of information. But a couple other things would be like Hacker News is pretty good. Um, I kind of peruse on Medium quite often. So I'll just like go on it and see what, what's new and read, you know, interesting articles there. I, so this is not for everyone, but you know, if you are interested in like specific areas of technology, um, let's say you're interested in machine learning, a lot of the bigger companies will have and publish their uh, ML and AI papers online because, you know, they're public. And so reading those, so when I was into machine learning a lot more, that's something that I was interested in doing. Um, I am not anymore into as much machine learning. I do more, you know, distributed systems and um, product management kind of things. Just only, if the only amount of data science I want to do is to like be able to grab insights from data. That's about it. Um, and I just say, you know, those those are a few places to look at. Even for engineering, you know, Uber engineering, Facebook engineering, um, they post like a lot of their a lot of their infrastructure publicly, and they talk about how they what kind of design decisions they made. So really, really interesting news there. 
That's awesome. I actually have a more technical question now because you said you read some machine learning research papers. So I guess like for context before, uh, back in I think January, I joined like a research paper reading groups. So, like once a week I would read a research paper and just like try cool. to learn about it for like NLP. And that was like mm-hmm. really cool, but like I learned a lot and it was like really hard. I was like, wow, like there's so many words. Like, I don't know what they mean, like, you know, Googling. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. But for like when you're reading these research papers, I'm guessing you did it more for learning. So was there a specific way you went about this? Like, did you learn like the most important ones in your domain? Did you like pick a domain that you wanted to like learn more about? Did you do like very niche things? Cause you like were interested in a very niche topic. Like for people, let's say listening to our podcast are like, I want to learn about machine learning. I want to read some research papers. Like how would you say they should like start around like doing that? For sure. Um, in any paper you read, the abstract is probably the most important part because it's giving you the summary of the entire paper. So regardless of what you're reading, would recommend checking that out um, first to get a sense of you know what they're going to talk about and explain. Um, I would also say for me, I got started by reading, reading research papers um, because of my internship at Deloitte. So I was working on building like a search engine internally. So you can imagine, you know, like it was pretty much all NLP um, as well as machine learning. And so I was reading a lot of papers kind of on that, recommender systems on um, ranking, different text documents and whatnot. So it was interesting. So it was much more targeted initially. Then, you know, when you're kind of just doing it for fun, you have a different take on it. So, you know, before I was, like, while I was at Deloitte, it was all NLP articles and very specific kind of core concepts that I wanted to learn more of. Um, and then, you know, when you're just doing it for fun, just literally reading anything is helpful to you. And, you know, targeting something is good if you have a certain goal in mind, but if you just want to like improve your general knowledge about it, I think it's worth it to just read whatever you can get your hands on. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Knowledge is key and there's literally so much to learn. So you can learn a lot from a lot of different platforms. Um, another question I had is obviously you've done a lot of these internships. I'm sure you get this question a lot, but um, and you can take this in whatever direction you want. But what are your top tips for those looking to get internships with these companies like a Tesla, an Apple, a Deloitte? And then kind of building on that, how do you build your brand to be able to do that? Um, some great questions. And yes, this is a question I get a lot. Um, so the good thing is I have, you know, things kind of prepared off the top of my head for it. So looking for internships, I will say that for me, pretty much after my first internship, a lot of those initial kind of um, interviews at least happened because of networking. And so even Deloitte, you know, I interviewed in my 1A term, which is like the first term that we're at Waterloo and I had to look for a co-op. Interviewed, did not get the Deloitte position, um, but I stayed in touch with my interviewer pretty much for the next time I was looking for a co-op. And, you know, I messaged him. I was like, hey, I've worked on the XYZ skills that I was missing last time. Um, Would love to, you know, chat again. And guess what that chat was? It was an interview. Um, So that, you know, that's very common where you'll just like kind of have chats, but don't treat your chats as just a chat. They're often an interview. The person already knows what you're trying to do. Um, But just kind of backtrack a little bit. I will say... There's a few things you can do to get internships. I will say networking is probably the best way to go about it because you're forming genuine connections and you know which you can lean upon later when you're looking for co-ops or internships, whatever. Um, so you start off with, there's, there's kind of four groups that I've identified with a lot of trial and error. Um, so I would say there's four. And so those four are recruiters. Your recruiter is your first group. It's a very transactional kind of relationship. You 
you know, message them and say, hey, this is my name. I go to school here. I'm studying this. These are my past, you know, co-ops or this is my experience, whatever. Um, this is why, you know, like, I think I'll be a good fit. This is the job I've already applied to with level of consideration, blah, blah, blah. So you're not really trying to, you know, form a long-term relationship with them. I will say forming relationships with recruiters once you've left a company is much more important. So you always have kind of some ends if you ever want to go back. Um, so recruiters on LinkedIn or cold emailing, whichever way you want to go about it um, is good. I would say cold emailing might be a little bit better. There's a lot of like headhunting tools which can grab you those emails. Um, the next thing I'd say is, you know, engineers and engineering managers. So if you know, we're talking about software, but um, this is also relevant for anyone who's not in software. You could think about even just like business analysts, right? Business analysts and then their manager would still be a good comparison. And so reaching out to those people on LinkedIn, cold emailing, whatever, whatever, whichever way you like to reach out, I guess, works. Um, but those are two different groups which would also work. Um, with, with this group, you should be targeting a little bit more towards which team you want to work on, what kind of things these people are working on. So let's say, um, if I find someone working at, so yeah, like let's say Tessa, or if I have something else, some other company in mind, and they're working on a very specific problem that I want to work on, I will message that person. And because you're interested in it, you're one already going to be passionate about it. And that comes through when you talk to them, whether it's through email, um, whether it's, you know, over a call, whatever it may be, but getting on calls with engineers and engineering managers is very helpful because you build a long-term relationship and your kind of thought process going into it should be, so let's say, ideally six months to a year before you're looking for an internship. I know like the timeline is really long, but the reason you're doing is this is not to get a referral. It's not to um, get a job immediately. It is to learn about new things and meet some really cool people. And if you set that as kind of your immediate goal, you make a lot better connections. Um, it doesn't seem, come off as transactional as, you know, hey, can I get a referral for Facebook on your first coffee chat maybe? Um, probably not the best idea. But, it, you know, those are things you might have to do like when you are um, hustling and trying to look for a co-op, which is, you know, two months out and you don't have a lot of time left. Like that, you just, sometimes you just have to do that. But ideally, you know, you're forming long-term relationships with people. Um, the last group I'd say, which not a lot of people think of, are students. Um, other students who work at companies will have access to the same portal, um, as well as, you know, their managers that you can ask for uh, referrals to. And so um, let's say someone wanted a referral and, you know, this student worked at Facebook, for example, like this student would be able to refer people to statements, to Facebook. Um, for example, um, even Tesla, Apple, pretty much take literally any company um, would be the same. You could message a student um, if you know the student or if you build up a relationship with them, you know, you can ask them for a referral. Um, even if you talk to students who, you know, you aren't as close with, you can even say, hey, I like would love to learn about your team and kind of what you're working on. You might even get on a call with the student um, and they're like, hey, like this sounds really awesome. Can you put me in touch with your manager or give me their email? One of those two things. And bam, you get, and then there on the specific team you want to join. So there's like some interesting ways that I've kind of come up with over the last like three and a half years at this point of doing university, doing this co-op hunting stuff. So those are kind of some of the best tips to go about it. So to like a TLDR, if you were to take something away from this long rant, connect with people, um, whether it's through LinkedIn, email, Twitter, whatever, um, and to build long-term relationships. And then three, when you're looking for an internship co-op, 
closer to the date follow up and then you know ask for a referral try to close it off mm-hmm. uh, close the loop up yeah i love what you said about like your first i guess trying to get the deloitte internship you didn't get it and then after you reapplied like that's such a cool story because a lot of people are terrified of failure and they're terrified of like not getting a job but the fact like it's okay you can just like you know reapply and like it's even better now because you have all this stuff that you worked on oh yeah like i really love that story because it's not like really heard of often like a lot of times mm-hmm. people just like don't get it they're like okay well i'm done uh and never like contact them again so it's so good that you did that and um, I guess you have a lot of really cool internships. And from that, you also have a lot of really cool projects you worked on that you showcase, you know, on your LinkedIn profile, like little bullet points. And what I learned from like kind of working at a, like a few places is that it's important to have these bullet points so you can kind of leverage them for your next job, mm-hmm. let's say for moving on, or even if you're staying in the company to like maybe get a different position and stuff like that. So I'm just wondering, like, did you pick the projects you worked on because they're so beautiful and you have like such good like numbers and metrics <laughs> oh my god or were they oh, like did you. <laughs> you know like or did you like get assigned these projects and you just like made the most out of them like how did that process you know go about mm-hmm. so um pretty much every single time i've been assigned a project now you as an intern usually will not have as much power on like what you work on although your managers are always very very willing to work with you on kind of what you what you want to learn, right? So what your goals are, they will often at times accommodate that. So for me, um, Deloitte was very much like a project that we had and we kind of, I got to be like our own PM. It was a very small team. It was all prototyping. Um, so, you know, we had a thing we wanted to build out. We spoke with the stakeholders, came back, built it, checked in every week and so, so forth. So you can imagine like it being a very different experience than something which was like Tessa, which was, a lot more production focused. We were trying to get things out of, you know, get to production, send them to actually like impacting people. And at Tesla, I felt that I was very green in the sense like I had a lot to learn um, and I, there was a lot of technologies which I was not familiar with. So, you know, as much as I tried and I grinded for that internship, I, I still feel it would be much better if I was a bit senior. It was my third internship. So you can imagine like it not being, um, me not being as, you know, having that maturity, which is often required for working on a production level team. Um, and also that team was extremely senior and just some of the smartest people I've ever worked with. So you can imagine the there being a very high uh, quality and standard for whatever I was working on. And then um, Apple last term, uh, can't say what I worked on, but I can't say uh, that it was like very, very self-led. I had a few guidelines, but then a lot of it was, you know, self-managed. I went about it my own way. It was kind of, it was kind of like being the PM for my own, or like a product manager for my own project. And then coming up with the roadmap for this project, making sure I was on time, stuff like that. And then, uh, yeah, even, even this term, like I have one main project that I'm working on. And there's like another side project that I'm, I have choice of working on. And the thing about being PM is because you have like kind of this high level insight into a bunch of different things. You can kind of, if you have time, you can dip and dip your feet into multiple things, um, which is really interesting. Something you don't get as much as a software engineer, especially if uh, you know, there's not as much cross-functional collab- collaboration. So, yeah. Yeah. It's so great that you got all these different experiences. And I think that's important because then, you also get to see the kinds of environments that you want to work in. Um, and at Apple, you presented the framework you made for Apple on-device machine learning to more than 70 directors, engineers, data scientists, and 
product managers, which is insane. So congratulations on that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm curious, like, what did you learn from that experience? And did you use any frameworks when making your presentation to showcase the technical depth of your project, as well as its impact on the company going forward? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, so yeah, uh, I so at Apple, we have a very high standard of presentations in general. Even the engineers are out here making some really beautiful presentations. And so um, I looked at some of the old ones trying to figure out, you know, how the heck they do this and kind of, you know, just how I should go about building mine out. In terms of public speaking, not, you know, the hardest thing for me. I talk a lot, a little too much maybe sometimes. So it was more about keeping it concise and not rambling all the time. And as for making a presentation, looked at old ones, I, you know, banked on or took help from a lot of people. Um, within my team, some of the stakeholders I was working with were extremely passionate about working with me on my presentation and it was just like an awesome experience. It felt like I had all this help and this great amount of people that wanted to learn about what I was working on as well. And it's, it's, it was a really cool experience because not a lot of interns get to do that. Um, and so it's usually like full-time engineers who will like, you know, present something that they've been working on internally. And I created this framework end-to-end, -end, got it you know, published internally. And so uh, people could start building off of that internally. Um, and so, yeah, keeping, keeping things kind of vague, it is a really cool experience, not, not too bad. That's really cool. I actually have a question about like balancing the technical depth and also like, the impact it has on the company. Because I find a lot mm -hmm. of times that that's a really hard balance to have, even in just presentations yep. like TED Talks. You just want to mm -hmm. go on about all the cool stuff you built, but then also like not everyone wants to hear about it, but then also they need to know about it because like they're implementing it. So it's a kind of a hard balance. And then also you need to showcase like the impact. So one framework I was taught was like, what, so what, now what? So like, what mm -hmm. did you do? um so what like why does it matter and then now what? that's cool i might use that now <laughs> yeah i was like i love this framework this is amazing <laughs> so yeah i'm just wondering like how did you strike that balance and someone like teach you it something mm -hmm. like that. so the way i see it is and actually i will say that this is a really really important skill which is not as much taught in engineering i um, mean a big reason i kind of wanted to at least try out product management you know dig into it for four months was as engineers, we often don't ask why, um, and we just kind of build things, and then they're not the right things we're building. So even if I go back into engineering, I think you know I'll be taking a lot of my learnings from PM into there, and I think that will be really, really awesome. So um, to kind of how you strike that balance is, you one need to understand your audience, right? Your audience is, uh, for me, it was a mix of people, um, and for most of my presentations, it ends up usually being a mix of people. So in terms of technical depth. You explaining why a code block is going to do a certain function is probably not as you know beneficial. You telling us uh, what how I can use it, or saying you know these are the highlights and this is kind of how I went about building it. This was the top level design architecture. So let's say it's a cloud infrastructure system. You just kind of having blocks on the page showing you know how different things interact with each other. Um, all those kind of things are important, and you, those are things you highlight. And then you're also trying to highlight impact and, you know, maybe even have a cool demo of, you know, what your product is doing or what your project is doing. Um, and like, as an engineer, you always, even when building your presentation out, you want to kind of have this idea of impact and what matters to the people listening to you. So maybe, you know, let's say you saved the company $10,000. You talking about why you did a retry function in your code block 
um, is probably less relevant to them than you know telling them that you saved the company ten thousand dollars, stuff like that. Um, you know, keep that in mind. Think about the business implications. Think about you know how it impacts your project, the overall technical aspect. Do not dive you know extremely in depth into the technical aspect unless it is a very very tech talk, just like specific thing. Um, otherwise, if it's like an end of term presentation, cover your biggest impacts. You don't need to talk about the nerdy gritty details. I feel like I need to be taking notes right now because I'm getting so many knowledge bombs. And honestly, this episode has just been full of knowledge bombs. So thank you so much for being here. That does bring us to the end of our podcast. Um, But before you go, could we get three action items from you for our listeners? Oh, man. Um, Okay. So I will say a few and I might be wrong. But what we'll go with is... One, have empathy in general, not for ju- not just for your products, but for other people as well, um, for yourself. And I think that's extremely important and often overlooked by a lot of people, especially in STEM. So just something to keep in mind. Um, another thing I'd say is build your and grow your network. Your, uh, oftentimes people will say your network is your net worth. Um, I think it is, a, it is an interesting phrase, but I, I just, you know, say, hey, just, just like network and like, meet new people, meet cool people. Um, and the last one I'd say is, you know, this one I actually do like. Um, the sum of five people, you are the sum of the five people around you. Uh, and so surround yourself with amazing people and you will too, even if you don't think you're as amazing now, which I'm sure you all are, um, you'll elevate yourself to kind of new heights with because of the people you surround yourself with. If they're also amazing, guess what? You're gonna be amazing too. Um, and you're always constantly learning from each other. And so those are the three things I would say you should be doing, um, especially high school, um, university. I think those are a couple of places that are great to get started on these kind of things. Those are great action items. And I love the last one about the environment because I do think that's super important, who you surround yourself with. But once again, Parth, thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, We really enjoyed having you, and I definitely learned a lot. Oh, thank you for having me.